Good morning. It's good to be with you again this uh, Sunday morning. I'm going to ask if you would take your Bible, turn with me to the uh, second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33. Uh, Exodus chapter 33. And in this passage, we're going to look at it this morning because uh, Moses makes a strange, unusual request to God. And I'd like us just to begin by noticing what that request is. Exodus chapter 33, and uh, we're looking at verse 18. Exodus 33, 18. Moses speaks to God, and he says uh, to the Lord, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, in response to this, he answers that request, and he says... I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he also said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So Moses asked to see the glory of God and God says, I, I'll show you about myself, but, but no one can actually see God fully and completely and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. So you can't see the fullness of my glory, but I'll put you in a place, and when I pass by, I will let you see the, my back or my afterglow, and Moses actually sees and experiences the glory of God. Then over in chapter 34, if you'll look over at that chapter, Moses is back on the mountain receiving the commandments for a second time. And again, the Lord is going to show his glory to Moses. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So can you just imagine Moses there on the mountain, seeing and experiencing the presence of God, and then hearing the voice of God. And it says again, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and children's children to the third and fourth generations. So Moses sees the glory of God again. He hears the voice of God. He understands in a deeper way who God is. And it says in verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Okay? Today, I would like to talk about what does it mean to live for the glory of God? 
We hear that expression all the time as Christians. God calls us to glorify Him or to live for His glory. And I believe that that is our purpose and our mission and our goal as Christians is to live every day for the glory of God. But, you know, sometimes that becomes really just sort of a Christian cliche. What exactly is the glory of God? What does it mean and what does that involve in living for God's glory? The Westminster Confession asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that the, the confession gives, the chief end of man is to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And our passage is a story where Moses, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, saw and experienced the glory of God. And if we want to live for God's glory, I believe there's a process that's reflected in Moses' life. This is what it involves. First of all, living for God's glory means seeing and experiencing the glory of God, desiring that glory. And then it becomes the process of reflecting that glory to other people. Charles Colson once said that as a Christian, we never have to wake up anytime and wonder if our lives have meaning and purpose because we are here to show God and His greatness to others. We're here to be lights that reflect the glory of God to other people. Rocky Mount Baptist Church is in this community so that it can be a billboard reflecting the greatness and the glory of God. When people come into this church, uh, our, our, the purpose here is for others not to see us or to see our programs or to see our sanctuary, but to see the greatness of God. And so we're going to talk this morning, what does it mean to desire the glory of God, to see the glory of God, and then to reflect the glory of God to others. Uh, back in 1990, there was a night in Cleveland where Michael Jordan scored 69 points in an overtime win over Cleveland. One of his teammates, Stacy King, that night came off the bench and scored one point. So Michael Jordan, 69 points. Stacy King, one point. And to the media, after that game was over, Stacy King said, I can't wait to tell my grandchildren about the night that me and Michael Jordan went for 70. Okay? So most of the glory of that 70 points did not go to Stacy King. He didn't experience a whole lot of that. And when it comes to the glory of God, we are part of that even less. But one Christian writer has said, we want to touch glory, connect with it, and to be part of it, even though we are not worthy. And even though we really are not worthy, and this glory is not something that is anything that is part of us, we get the opportunity in life to see, to desire, to experience, and to show to others the glory of God. I, I want to congratulate anyone that... Uh, you know, this weekend has graduated from high school and you're starting in this new part of your life and this new adventure. The, the, the thing that will give you purpose and meaning, and this is true for all of us, is living 
and reflecting God's glory to others. And so that's what I'd like us to talk about. First of all, I just want us to notice in Moses' life that the thing that Moses desired more than anything else was that he desired to see and know and experience God's glory. So as we begin talking about this, let's just try to think about what exactly is, the Bible talks about this, what is the glory of God? And I believe that the glory of God that Moses desires is that the glory of God is the demonstration and the manifestation of God's presence. In the Old Testament, the glory of God, His presence, is often reflected in bright, shining light. In fact, light that none of us could fully see and, and, and live. And so the Old Testament teaches that God is everywhere. There's nowhere that you can go to run away from God. Jonah tried that by getting on a boat and trying to go down to Tarshish. It did not work. God showed up. Psalm 139 says, there is nowhere that we can go to run away from the presence of God. If we go to the highest heavens, God is there. If we descend to the lowest parts of the earth, God is there. God is everywhere. But there are also times and places where God in a special way makes his presence known at a specific place to a specific group of people. And God reflected his glory to Moses and the people of Israel by a cloud and a fire. And he led them by that cloud and by that fire through the wilderness to the promised land. They could look at that cloud and know God is with us. They could look at that fire and know the presence of God was there. Later on, God put His glory, called the Shekinah glory, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And the Shekinah glory was again this brilliant, bright light that reflected the, peop- the presence of God. The people of Israel could go to the temple and knew that they could meet with the God of the universe. <laughs> God was their next door neighbor. And the light of his glory reflected his presence. When Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says that the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord so that the priests were not able to even serve there. The last thing that we read about in the book of Exodus is that when Moses and the people, when they build the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And God moved in next door to the people of Israel and became their neighbor. Now, in the first part of chapter 33, in the passage that we've just read, Why is it that Moses wants to see God's glory? God has just informed him of something very disturbing. God has told Moses, because the people have just sinned by worshiping the golden calf, God has told Moses, I'm going to send you up to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. 
These people are too rebellious, too hard-hearted, too stiff-necked. And so you go to the promised land, you enjoy it, you live there, but my presence is not going to go with you. And Moses is devastated when he hears this. How can we go to this land? How can we experience life the way God has meant it without God's presence? And so Moses says to the Lord, and he prays to him, and he says, God, if we have to go up to the promised land and you're not going to be with us, please don't make us go. And in response to Moses' prayer, God says in chapter 33, verse 13, that, or verse 17, the very thing that you have spoken about, I will do. My presence will go with you. And so when Moses asked to see the glory of God, what he wants to know is the assurance that God is with him, that God will be with the people, and that his presence would never abandon them. You know, the greatest thing about being a Christian is that we get to go through, we get to go through everything that we face in life knowing that God is is with us and present with us. Hebrews says, I will never leave you or, you or forsake you. Can you imagine what it is like to not be a follower of Jesus and to not have the assurance that God is with you in everything that you're going through in life? And I hope you have not been a follower of Jesus long enough that you forgot what it's like to be that way, to not have God's presence in your life. And that's what Moses says, I I don't want to live without God's presence. And so Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. I want to know that you'll be with us. And so the glory of God was the manifestation of God's presence. The glory of God is also the manifestation of God's power and greatness. And I have to be honest that when you first look at Exodus and you think about the glory of God and Moses says, I want to see your glory, you almost think, well, does Moses really know what he's asking God for here? This is really dangerous. It's almost like seeing a, a live electric wire on the ground and wanting to pick it up and hold it in your hand. Does he really want to see the glory of God? You know, it would be safer for Moses if he were to just zip line down the top of Mount Sinai than to see the glory of God. And when we see the descriptions of God's glory... And what God's glory is like, it is a dangerous, terrifying, frightening, scary thing in the book of Exodus. Listen to this, Exodus 19. The glory of God is about to come down to Mount Sinai, and the Lord says to Moses, You shall set boundaries for all of the people around the mountain, and they are to take care not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And when the glory of God appears, there is smoke and fire and thunder. And the people see this and they say, Moses, you go up and talk to God and tell him what he wants to say to us. We don't want to go up into his presence. It's scary. It really is like 
a live electric wire. And here's Moses saying, I want to see the glory of God. Moses tells the people, go down and warn them lest they break through. And the people say, you tell us what God says, but don't let him speak to us lest we die. Listen to what it says about the glory of God in Exodus chapter 24, verse 17. It says, now the appearance of the, of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So this glory is a fire. And I, I remember a few years ago living in Roanoke and there was, a, there was a forest fire going on in the mountain right across from where we lived and you could look out at night and you could just see that fire kind of consuming and burning the trees in the forest there. And it was something that you were just kind of drawn to watch because it was so powerful. But you also understood the destructive power of that fire. That's what the glory of God is like. And Moses says, I want to see it. In 2010, an astrophysicist by the name of Paul Crowther from the University of Sheffield over in England discovered the brightest star that has ever been discovered in the universe. And they gave it the name R136A, and scientists said as they discovered this that this star is 10 million times brighter than the light coming from the sun. Now, aren't you glad you don't have to worry about going to the beach and getting an R136A burn better than, you know, than a sunburn? This star, 10 million times brighter than the light coming from the sun. First Timothy says, God dwells in inapproachable light. And so the brightness of this star, 10, 10 million times brighter than the sun, doesn't even begin to compare to the glory of God. And Moses says, I want to see God's glory. I hope he has his sunglasses on. Moses wants to see this consuming, burning, glorifying, terrifying glory. And God even says to him, I'll show you part of my glory, but you can't see my face. For no man can see. You can't take all of my glory at once. And I think, you know, it's important for us to understand. We sort of come to church and we feel comfortable about being here. But one of the things that the Bible tells us about the glory of God is that it is a dangerous thing to enter into the presence of a living, holy, all-powerful God. I don't think many of us thought about this this morning. I'm going to church. I'm going to do something dangerous. Annie Dillard says that when we come to church, the ushers should issue us life vests and helmets and lash us to the pew lest the, waking God, lest the sleeping God awake. And she says that when we come to church on Sunday mornings, we are actually mixing up a batch of dynamite. Eugene Peterson says that we should hang signs outside our church that read, Beware the God. And I think most of us think about a church, well, that's a place where I can go get a nap for an hour on Sunday. That's, that's not what meeting the living God is really like. It's a terrifying thing. A, a few years back, Drew Dick wrote a book called Yawning at Tigers. 
And he says this, we ask God to keep us safe, not realizing that it is from him that we most need protection. And he tells this story in this book, Yawning at Tigers, about a man from Australia, 32 years old, his name was Eli Kuo, and he was taking Kung Fu. And his Kung Fu instructor told him that he was now proficient enough that he could kill wild animals with his bare hands. Okay, so teacher just trying to encourage a student. Unfortunately, Eli Kuo took his instructor literally. One night he snuck into the Melbourne Zoo, scaled the lion's enclosure, and took on the lions that were housed there. The next morning, zookeepers found parts of his body scattered throughout the enclosure. And when I think of the glory of God and the dangerous nature of what it is like to go into the presence of God, I remember what Lewis says about Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Remember Lucy? She wants to know, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, who said anything about him being safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. Lions are not safe. But he also says, but he is good because he's the king. God is not safe even if God is good. Drew Dick again in his book, Yawning at Tigers, often the reaction that we have to the, uh, to the greatness of God. He says, we can't truly appreciate God's grace until we glimpse His greatness. We won't be lifted by His love until we are humbled by His holiness. Making God strange actually enables us to know Him more. Once we have marveled at His magnitude and His mystery, we are able to achieve the deep intimacy that grows out of a true appreciation for who God is. Instead of treating Him as our equal, we approach Him with reverent awe. And once we have been awestruck by His majesty, then we can be overwhelmed by His love. And so I, I don't want us to just go through a religious ritual this morning, to kind of come to church and go through our thing here. I want us to realize this morning the greatness, the, 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 the fearsomeness of God as this holy, all-powerful God. And when Moses said, show me your glory, that's one of the things that he wanted to see. Now I'm going I'm to do one more lion story here. And uh, this, this story is about a, a man by the name of Kevin Richardson. And I don't know if you saw this on TV a few years ago, but Kevin Richardson is an animal behaviorist who has actually lived now for several years in a preserve with 38 other lions. Or 38 lions. I guess he's not a lion. And the video of this on YouTube, if you ever get a chance, watch this sometime. He's scratching these lions under the chin. He's giving them a big hug and kiss. He's petting them. He's lying on the ground and, and wrestling with them. He lets his, them put their paws around him. He makes what he calls a lion sandwich where he's the middle of the sandwich. 
and he, and he comes up with it, and, and he's actually survived being with, living with these lions and being in their presence, and he comes up with four recommendations for how to get along with the lion. Okay, so if you're ever in this situation, here's what to do. Number one, don't wake a lion when he's sleeping. Number two, don't come near a lion when he's eating. Number three, don't surprise a lion and make sure to leave when a lion tells you that they've had enough. Okay? You want to be really careful coming into the presence of God. And, and I just want us to understand that we're coming into the presence of God today, which is a much more frightening and terrifying thing because of the power and greatness and consuming holiness of who God is. And if I can change anything this morning as, as we come to church and as we leave, just to understand the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that doesn't mean that we live in abject terror of Him, but it does mean that we have respect for Him and we have awe for Him. And that's where worship and that's where living for the glory of God begins. Just reverencing who God is. But you know, the other thing about the glory of God is that the glory of God is the manifestation of His presence. It's the manifestation of His greatness and His power. But it is also the manifestation of His goodness and His love. And, and I love that statement in chapter 33 where Moses says, Let your glory pass before me. And the Lord says, I and my goodness will pass before you. I mean, if God was just a consuming fire, that, that would be a pretty frightening thing. But the fact that God is both a God of power and of love is what makes Him the great God that He is. And remember what's just happened here. The, the, the children of Israel have worshipped the golden calf. They have broken God's covenant. They broke the commandments of God even before the ink was dry on the contracts. Okay? They had cheated on God as their husband on the honeymoon. And yet God forgave them and showed His mercy to them and restored them to, to Himself as His people. And that's why in chapter 34 it says... That the Lord is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Because God showed mercy in forgiving His people. And so when Moses wants to see the glory of God, he sees the glory pass by, but he also hears the kind of God that he is. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. And so Moses desires the glory of God. That's where this begins. And I hope this morning that the thing that you desire in your life as a follower of Jesus is just to see and to know and to experience the glory of, your, of God in your life in a greater and a deeper way. And you, you might look at this and say, well, you know, this terrifying God that you described, this God that's like a lion that you're afraid of going into his presence, 
that might be the God of the Old Testament, but that's, that's not my God. Uh, that sounds like uh, the volcano God of some kind of tribal primitive people, but that's not the God that I serve. I want a God who is all love and all mercy and all forgiveness and a God who would never judge or condemn anyone. And I understand that feeling. But if that's the God that you choose to follow, you have to understand you are walking away from the God of the Bible because that's not the God that's described there. You say, well, you know, the Old Testament God seems kind of mean and angry and violent and always wanting to strike people with plagues. Maybe I'll just take the New Testament God. But the New Testament also reminds us our God is a consuming fire, and Hebrews says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But when we see God's greatness and power, we can also appreciate the greatness of His mercy and His love and His forgiveness that He has extended to all of us in the person of Christ. So you see, the first part of this process is Moses desired the glory of God. When Moses said, show me your glory, Moses wasn't just wanting to see a fireworks show. Moses wasn't just wanting to have a really cool experience. Moses wasn't wanting to be able to take a picture of God with his iPhone and post it on Facebook. Moses was wanting to know God in a deeper and a fuller way so that he could know know God and so that he could teach that to the people of Israel. This is the kind of God that you serve. Look with me over at uh, Psalm chapter 27 verse 4. Psalm chapter 27 verse 4. And notice what the worshiper there says about God. And I think this is what We have to say this morning as we come into the presence of God to worship Him. The psalmist says, Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and this I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The psalmist says, I want to see God's beauty and his greatness. That's what Moses wanted to see as well. A few years back, Stephen Machia wrote a book, Becoming a Healthy Church. And I'm I'm sure here at Rocky Mount Baptist, you want to be a healthy church. And he said, one of the signs of of a healthy church is they develop an awareness of the presence of God. And that becomes a part of everything that that church is about. He told the story of a church that was holding an event. They ordered pizzas. And the pizza delivery man walked into the church. And before he left, he asked the people, he says, you know, I I just want to know, what was the presence that I felt when I walked into this church? I, I sense something special here. What is that? And the people were able to explain to him, it was the presence of God. And and that's what we want to see this morning.
Paul says in Corinthians that if an unbeliever comes into our midst to worship God, they should be able to see and to say, God is truly in this place. And so Moses desired the glory of God. The second thing that happens is that Moses actually saw the glory of God. God passed by and Moses saw God's greatness. God spoke to Moses and Moses heard the voice of God. He experienced, he saw, he heard the glory of God. And some of you might be thinking, well, you know, this faith thing would be a lot easier if I could just see God's glory the way that Moses did. How about if I just go down in the basement and God pass by? Someone said, Moses saw the burnt God's glory at the burning bush. I don't need a burning bush, but a flaming dandelion would help. You know, atheists are always telling, well, if God's really out there, why doesn't he just show us that he's there? Why doesn't God just line up the stars once a year and send us a text message? And if I were God, I would probably send a thunderstorm in the middle of every atheist rally there was just to say, hey, I'm here. And we read this story where Moses sees the glory of God and, and we say, you know, why can't I see that? Well, the Bible tells us that God has not just revealed His glory to Moses. God reveals His glory to all of us. And God has especially revealed His glory to those who seek Him and desire to know Him. Romans 1 says, the whole creation declares, proclaims the greatness of God's power and His eternality. And the problem is, is that we suppress that and don't want to hear. The psalmist said, I want to go to the temple and see the beauty of the Lord. God made it possible for God's people to see His glory just like Moses did. And the Bible also tells us that the greatest demonstration of God's glory was not what Moses saw out in the wilderness. The greatest demonstration of God's glory has been found in the person of Jesus Christ. You understand this? You have seen, if you know Jesus, more of God's glory than Moses ever saw out in the wilderness. The mission of Jesus was to reveal the hidden glory of God and to show us what that glory was like. One day in Matthew 17, Jesus is transfigured in front of His disciples and three of His disciples are able to see the glory of Jesus. This bright light, His clothes becoming this shining, brilliant white. And for just a minute or two in their lives, they saw unvarnished and unhidden the glory of God and the deity of Jesus, but actually the whole ministry of Jesus was about showing sinful people God's glory. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory. And the word dwelled there is really the word tabernacle, just like in the Old Testament. 
God's glory was in the tabernacle in the temple. In Jesus, God's glory was in a person. And the glory of God being revealed in a person is much better than the glory of God being reflected in a light in a building. And so everything about the life of Jesus, from his birth to his miracles to his messages to his death to his resurrection, all of it was to show us the glory of God. And if you know Jesus, you've seen God's glory. Disciples said, uh, show us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen all that you need to know about the Father. And if you're here this morning and say, oh, I just wish in my life I could see the glory of God in a deeper way. I wish I could experience what Moses experienced. I wish I could see what God's glory is really like. Then take the Gospels and read them again and again and again until the glory of, of God begins to shine through. And maybe this summer, take the Gospel of Mark. Take the Gospel of Luke. Take the Gospel of John. Read them repeatedly. And ask God, show me your glory. If you want to see the presence of God, the greatness of God, the power of God, the beauty of God, the goodness of God, then look deeply at the person of Jesus Christ. If you want a glimpse of what Moses saw when that glory passed by in the rock, spend some time pouring over the Jesus that you find in the Gospels and notice how your image of God will be changed. And then, thinking about this, the glory of God is most fully revealed in the cross. In the cross. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified and for the Father to be glorified in Him. And you think about that and you say, how can the God that we talked about that is so dangerous and powerful and like a roaring lion, how can that God be reflected by Jesus dying on the cross? And the answer is, we see the glory of God in the cross because nothing else more fully demonstrates the radical nature of God's love and willingness to give Himself for us. And I love what Richard Baucom has written about the glory of God reflected in the cross of Jesus. He says that the cross shows us that Jesus is God in His suffering, humiliation, and death no less truly God than He is in His cosmic rule and His glory on the heavenly throne. And in the sacrifice and the act of self-giving that was reflected on the cross, God is most truly Himself and defines Himself for the world. You want to see the glory of God? You don't have to go to the parkway and look out over the mountains. You don't have to go to an observatory and look in a telescope at the galaxies. You don't have to go to the beach and look out at the sea and see the vastness of that. The place where we see the glory of God at its greatest is in the cross. And as it is soaked in the blood that Jesus shed for us, it is a reminder of the greatness 
of God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Moses saw a shadow of that. God said, I'm a merciful God. I'm going to forgive my people for what they did in worshiping the golden calf. That's the kind of God I am. And we see that even more in the cross. Jesus has died for all of us. And all of us can experience His mercy, His grace, and His forgiveness. And so I I want to ask a very personal question for all of us this morning. Have you seen the glory of God in the cross? Have you seen that glory that is reflected by Jesus in the cross? I'm not asking you if you know the story about the death, burial, and resurrection. But have you personally observed the beauty of God giving Himself, becoming a man, dying for you, paying for your sins? And have you trusted in that? Realizing there is nothing that you can give to God but that God has provided this gift of eternal, eternal life for you. And beyond the cross, we see the glory of God raising Jesus from the dead so that He could be our perfect Savior. Have you seen the glory of God? All right, real quickly, I want to go back to Exodus. And I want to talk about the last step in this process. Moses desired the glory of God. He said, please show me your glory Moses saw the glory of God. He experienced that as, as God passed by. We experienced that as we see the glory of God in Jesus. But the last part of this process, really interesting, the finish of the story, is that Moses also reflected the glory of God. Moses reflected the glory of God. And I'd like you to turn back to Exodus chapter 34. And I'm going to look at verses, uh, uh, verse 29 and following. After Moses was in the presence of God, he then reflected God's glory so that others could see it. And it says in verse 29, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And Aaron and all of the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to him, and Aaron and all the, and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all of the people came near, and he commanded them, and that the Lord had spoken with all that the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Okay? Let me just, let me just explain what's going on here and then just kind of draw this, kind of the practical application of all this for our lives. When Moses would go into God's presence, the light of God's glory would shine on Moses' face. And Moses 
would leave those meetings with God and the glory of God was reflecting out to the people who saw him. And uh, it was such a frightening thing to the people. It was God's way of telling the people, this is my messenger. He's been with me. The people were so afraid of this that Moses would have to put the veil over his face. And then later on, he would go back into the presence of God and the glory of God would shine on his face again. Okay? When you have experienced the light of God's glory, the natural thing that is going to happen as a result of that is that God's glory is going to reflect off of you. And other people are going to, it's not your light, it's not your glory, it's God's glory. And when we talk as Christians about my purpose in life is to glorify God, it means that God gives us the opportunity, just like Moses, to reflect his glory and his light and who he is and what he is like to other people so that they could see him. And as we go out to live for Jesus this week, that's what we have the opportunity to do. We reflect God's glory because 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, the glory of Christ is shining in us and through us. Now, Moses, when he went into the presence of God and experienced God's glory, he would have to go back and get his batteries recharged because the glory would fade. In your life, the glory of Jesus never fades because he is present with you, he is in you, and his spirit is causing Jesus to shine out of your, light to, out of your life to others. That's what it means to glorify God, to show other people what he is like. As a church, to be a billboard of his goodness and grace. This is what God has done for me. This is what God can do for you. Now, whenever I think about Christians glorifying God, I, I have to, I, I'm, my mind is immediately drawn. I can't help it. I have to think of this guy. I always think of Tim Tebow. Okay? And you remember when he would Tebow and, you know, he'd get down and, and, you know, always they would want to interview him. What about that pass on third down in the fourth quarter? Well, I'd just like to give glory and honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, something like that. Okay? The problem is most of us are never going to have that kind of forum where we can talk on TV about glorifying God. No one is ever going to interview me and I'm going to say something like, well, you know, uh, when I was getting through that Leviticus lecture this morning, I just wanted to honor and glorify my Savior Jesus. I wasn't sure if I was going to get through that boring faculty meeting or those 37 emails I had to send out, but I just want to glorify Jesus for helping me with that. Okay? We're not going to have that kind of forum to do that. We're not going to be able to get on TV and say, I want to glorify my Lord and Savior. If you're fixing meatloaf today, no one's, no one's going to watch you on TV. It's like, I didn't know if she was going to make it through that or not, but she did. Okay? But in the everyday experiences of life, just in very average, ordinary things, most of us are not going to go to Africa to be missionaries. Most of us are not going to give a million dollars to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. If you are, please meet with the deacons right after the service. Most of us are not going to become martyrs who die you know, facing down ISIS or something like that. 
but in the everyday experiences of life. As we obey God and as we follow Jesus, Christ shines out of our lives so that others can see Him. And the more we know Him, and the more we desire His glory, and the more we follow Him, the more that glory reflects and radiates out of our lives. Okay? We're not going to draw people to ourselves. But when God's glory shines out of our lives, they are going to be drawn to Him. And that's, that's what the mission and the purpose of our lives as individuals, that's what the purpose and mission of this church as well is. Is to glorify God by shining Christ out of our lives so that others can see Him. And sometimes the way that we are best going to glorify God is in the difficulties that we go through or the sufferings that we experience or the hardships that we encounter because God's power is going to be demonstrated through our weakness. And so every day we have the opportunity to glorify God and every day we have the ability to glorify God because Christ is shining out of our lives. And I just pray today that God will increase that desire to know His glory, to see it, so that you can share it with others. And if you've been here this morning and you're like, this stuff about God's glory, I don't understand it at all. I don't know what that's about. Today can be the day where you come to know God in a personal way. You can see the glory of what God did for you in the cross. And you can believe and trust in Jesus as your Savior. If that's never happened in your life. And then your life can become one where you're experiencing, you're knowing, you're seeing the beauty of God, and then the beauty of Christ is reflecting out to others.